Welcome back to the Relational Grace Podcast, where we share the teachings of Pastor Nick Harris, who taught us that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. I'm Jamie Russell, Pastor Harris's son. In this episode, we're going to continue our series entitled Six Impediments to Personal Success. This message for today will be the fourth in this series, and we'll focus on the subject of a poor work ethic. Previously, Pastor Harris has shown us three other impediments. The first is a negative self-image. The second is self-pity. And the third is what Dad called stinking thinking. Whereas last week, Pastor Harris appealed to the great man Joshua to enable us to overcome stinking thinking. In this message, he will appeal to the book of Proverbs to enable us to visualize the dangers of being overcome by a poor work ethic. In Pastor Harris's mind, the book of Proverbs accomplished something no other biblical book does. It simply compiles numerous short instructions for living an effective life on this earth. That is, instructions for successful living. While other books articulate profound theological truths, lengthy narratives of triumph and failure, or prophetic declarations addressed to disobedient people, Proverbs concerns itself with instructing us in the path of something it refers to as being wisdom. Proverbs states its theme very early in the book. In fact, Proverbs 1.7 tells us this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord does not mean being afraid of Him. It means viewing Him with the respect He deserves, living our lives in the light of what we know of Him, holding Him at the very highest esteem, and depending on Him in every circumstance of life. Only then will we discover true knowledge and wisdom. The point Pastor Harris will make is this. We need knowledge to overcome the tendency we all have to allow ourselves to become slothful, which more than anything else can defeat our path to personal success. So let's go ahead and get to work by jumping into this episode. Here's the fourth episode of the Six Impediments to Personal Success series titled, Pure Old Laziness. When you prosper in your health, when you're prospering financially, when your soul is prospering, you're going to feel better about everything. Now perhaps the greatest impediment on the road to success is something that ignores these things. Now, I call it sloth. Or as my mother would say, pure D, old laziness. Now, I'll tell you, if anything will defeat you prospering in any way in your life, it's going to be sloth or pure D, old laziness. And there's always been an epidemic of this loose in our world. You see, that's not only true today. See, we tend to think that all these things are just true of our time. It has always been true. It was true even in the time of Solomon. People were lazy. In fact, you know, 15 or so years ago, I was honored to be invited to participate in the Billy Graham mission kickoff event. Remember it when it was here in town at the Cox Center? A dinner had been served or was being served, and the political, business, and religious leaders of the city had been invited. Well, I was asked to sit at the head table because I was offering the closing prayer for the event. And when I finished praying, a man I have admired all my life walked up to me and shook my hand. I absolutely could not believe it. It was Cliff Barrows who was Billy Graham's right-hand man. Now, needless to say, I was higher than a kite. However, 
During the dinner, I had gotten pretty high. Not from that. (laughs) I had been seated beside the CEO of one of our nation's major pharmaceutical houses. Now, he was a fascinating man. And I did all I could in the time I had while we were eating that lunch. I barely ate my food. And I just wanted to pick his brain for everything I could get. And at one point in the conversation, I asked him this question. I said, what seems to be the greatest challenge your business is facing right now? Now, I want you to remember, this was over 15 years ago. That's been quite a while, right? Now, I presumed he would answer government regulations, lawsuits, union management issues, Slumping stock market prices. I mean, I could think of 3,000 things he could say. But he did not point to any of these things. As a matter of fact, he shocked me to the point of almost being able, unable to speak. He looked me in the eye and he said to me, Pastor, as I see it, the most pressing problem businesses of any kind, not only mine, but any kind of business faces today, is the scarcity of any kind of work ethic in the labor force. I did not expect that. Then he went on to say this, Pastor, the modern workforce expects to be paid with or without producing. Then he said something to me that I wish he would say to every person in this country between the ages of 15 and 45. He said this, and I'm quoting you, whenever we are lucky enough to find a person who is drug-free, who is always on time, who has a positive outlook on life, that person usually goes places in our company. But these kind of people are hard to find. You know, I thought about this statement a lot over the years. And I believe that what this CEO was really saying to me was this. Pastor, we're having trouble finding people who are willing to go the extra mile. We're having trouble finding people who are self-motivated. Now, beloved, as I look around me, I do not see this situation has changed a great deal over these past 15 years. Do you? He could have said that to me walking into the chapel this morning. Now, apparently, those kinds of people are extremely hard to find in America's uh, business world today. Now, the Bible has a word to describe those unmotivated, undisciplined, lazy people who possess little or no work ethic. The Bible uses the word sluggard. Now, right from the surface, that doesn't sound good, does it? Sluggard, if you don't even know what it means, doesn't sound good. You don't want anybody calling you sluggard. They can call you slugger, but you don't want to be called sluggard. There's something about that term. And the major vice of the sluggard, now listen to Pastor, is a disease known as sloth. A disease known as sloth. You know, this is not something new. 3,000 years ago, there were sluggards in the world. With little or no work ethic. For example, let's look at what the wise man Solomon had to say about the lifestyle of sloth. His first reference is found in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6. And it reads as follows. Look at the screen. Go to the ant, you sluggard. 
Oh, I know this is not going to be good. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Now here, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon is declaring this. If you want to be a success in life, you should do one thing. Just stop for a moment and study the activities of that tiny insect known as an ant. Now, as Solomon points out in Proverbs 6.6, 6, an ant doesn't have a manager. It doesn't have a foreman who constantly stands over him to see that he is productive. No one wakes him up in the morning to see that he goes to work. There's no job description for being an ant. Right? He has nothing to depend upon. No production quotas. You see, here's the thing about the ant. It doesn't need production quotas. It doesn't need a union. It doesn't need people standing over it without any outside prompting whatsoever. The self-motivated ant works continually to provide for himself and for his queen. And then he stocks away enough so that when the bleak winter months come, there's enough food to eat. But according to the wise man, that's not the case with the thought slothful sluggards. They love their sleep. In other words, Solomon, writing in behalf of the Holy Spirit, says this. Sluggards are lazy. They have no work ethic and they have no drive to succeed. Now, clearly, Solomon's not pulling any punches here. He warns sluggardly people that poverty will eventually catch up with them if they devote themselves to sluggardly behavior. And the inevitability of coming poverty is only one warning Solomon issues. Here's another one. It's found in Proverbs 10.4. And it reads as follows. He who has a slack hand becomes poor. But the hand of the diligent makes rich. See those two comparisons? Slack hand, diligent. He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Now, my friends, behind that verse is the wise man's understanding that even sluggards, lazy people have aspirations. Did you know that? They're not short of dreams or expectations. In fact, they desire the same thing that the diligent and the self-motivated people expect. But those with a slack hand, those with a slack hand, the unmotivated, will never have any of those things. And why not? It's because those things depend upon the accumulation of wealth. But... The wise man says wealth does not flow to laziness and sloth. It never has. It never will. Now, listen to the wise man of Proverbs once again. Listen to what he says in Proverbs 24, 30-34. I went by the field of the lazy man and by the vineyard of the man devoid of understanding. And there it was all overgrown with thorns. Its surface was covered with nettles. Its stone wall was broken down. 
When I saw it, I considered it well. I looked on it, and I received instruction. Here's his instruction. Now listen carefully. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. So shall your poverty come like a prowler and your need like an armed man. Wow. Wow. He wrote that, beloved, 3,500 years ago. He could preach that in any school in America today. As Proverbs 10, 4 indicated earlier, it's the diligent. It's those people who stay with it. It's those people who give more than expected to their employers who become rich. However, the wise man offers one more warning to the sluggards in Proverbs 20, chapter uh, verse 4. It reads as follows. Look at this at the screen. The lazy man will not plow because of winter. He will beg during harvest and have nothing. Lazy people, when it's time to sow, don't sow. Guess what happens? When it comes time to eat, they don't eat. Now, I've known people like this all of my life, and so have you. They'll use any excuse they can to avoid work. But the truth is this, beloved, Work is the seed that we sow in the marketplace. That's what work is. It's a seed we sow in the marketplace. And if we refuse to sow abundantly, I can promise you now you won't reap. In fact, when we don't sow, we end up having nothing. You can look at a wheat field all you want to and say, Wheat, come up. Come on, wheat. Depending on you to come up. No, you've got to do what? Sow the field. So where does the implementation of sloth come from? Where, how do we become slothful? Are some people just born with it? Are they born not having a work ethic? Of course not. No, sloth, sluggardly behavior, Sluggardly ways is learned behavior, and it's usually learned very early in life. It's taught by two kinds of teachers. Either sluggardly, slothful parents. Now that's obvious. Pastor doesn't have to go into that, do I? Or here's something that might shock you. Overbearing, perfectionistic parents. As I said, we know about that first group, but what about the latter group? What about those perfectionistic parents? Well, in my mind, they're the most common teachers of sloth. Here's what pastor means. They demand so much of their children that these children become fearful. They are constantly afraid that they cannot do what their parents demand. In other words, they become afraid to fail. Therefore, they'd rather do nothing than do something and fail at doing it. What I'm saying is that sloth is usually the child of fear. You show me a slothful person and I'll show you someone who's lived fearfully. But I want you to remember the words of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. 
For God has not given us a spirit of fear. You see what I'm saying to you? That spirit that leads to slothfulness doesn't come from God. Where does it come from? God gives us a spirit of, does not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Which tells us that God doesn't give us a feeling of powerlessness. God, God doesn't give us feelings of rejection. God doesn't give us a weak mind. These are things that come to us from a spirit of fear. Powerful words, right? One time Jesus told a parable that makes this point. But let me paint this parable in 21st century, in a 21st century light. Jesus was with his disciples one day and he said this to them. He said, a certain CEO decided to go on a prolonged journey. And he planned to be gone for a very, very long time. However, he wanted his enterprises to remain productive and profitable in his absence. So he called in three of his production managers. He gathered them about him. To one, he opened up his checkbook and wrote a check for for $250,000. Tore it out, gave it to the man. Wrote another check for $100,000, tore it out, and gave it to a second man. And then he wrote another check for $50,000 and gave it to the third man. Then he looked at each of the men in the eye and he said, I want you to go out while I'm gone and make money for me. In other words, I want you to go out and invest what I've given you. And when I come back, I want my money to have increased. That's business, isn't it? Well, the manager with $250,000 did just that, and he doubled the CEO's money. In time, he had amassed half a million dollars. The manager with $100,000 did the same, and he also doubled the CEO's money, and he amassed $200,000. However, the third manager, the one who was given $50,000, took the CEO's money, and guess what he did? He buried it in the ground. He wasn't going to lose any money with the money buried in the ground. But guess what? He's not going to make any money either, is he? So when the CEO returned, the manager with half a million dollars came and presented his profit and loss statement. Now, the words of the CEO are recorded in Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. They read as follows. Look at the screen. His Lord said to him, now let's put, let's put that in our words, okay, CEO. The CEO said to his manager, well done, good and faithful manager. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you to be the boss over many things. I'm happy with you. You join me in my happiness. Don't you love it? Then the manager with $200,000 came in and presented his profit and loss statement. And the words of the CEO are recorded, are, the words of the CEO are recorded to this manager 
in Matthew 25:23. Now look at this. The CEO said to him, "Well done, good and faithful manager. You've been faithful over a few things. Now I will make you manager over many things. Enter into the same joy I'm experiencing in what you've achieved for me." Then the manager, who had gone out and dug up his money out of the ground, comes with his $50,000 and presented his profit and loss statement. There was no loss, but there was no profit either. And the CEO was outraged. He demanded to know the meaning of this. And this is how the third manager responded. It's found in Matthew 25. 24 and 25. Look at this. Then he who had received the $50,000 came and said, Sir, Mr. CEO, I knew you to be a very hard man, making money where you did not put any, and gathering where you have not invested. That's pastor's interpretation. Then he who had received the 50000 Oh, and next verse, sorry. And I was afraid. Do I prove my point? All relates to fear. And I was afraid. And went and hid the $50,000 in the ground. Look. There you have what is yours. I've presented it back to you. It hasn't made anything, but it hasn't lost anything. Now, you can hear the fear in this man's voice, can't you? I was afraid. And the CEO heard it as well. And the presence of this fear made the CEO angrier. Listen to his words recorded in Matthew twenty-five twenty-six. They read as follows. But the CEO answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy manager. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I have not scattered seed. You knew about me. Now, the image this man had of his CEO and his corresponding fear of failure caused him to become slothful. What do you think he did while that money was in the ground? Can you tell me? Can you tell me what he did while the money was in the ground? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And beloved, in the sight of God, this is tragic. Now, beloved, let me say it again. I said it earlier. All of us, whether we are industrious or lazy, whether we harbor desires to succeed in life or not, we all want to prosper, don't we? Everybody wants to prosper. Not only financially, we want to prosper in every other way as well. We want to prosper as a husband and wife, don't we? Every man in this room wants to be a better husband, every man that's married. And every wife in this room wants to be a better wife, don't you? We want to prosper as a mother, right? And as a father. But beloved, simply wanting to succeed will not get the job done. The truth is this. We will not succeed at any phase of our lives 
until we are willing to commit ourselves to cast down fear and to work hard at what we do. There is nothing wrong with hard work. Over the years, I've studied a lot of businesses, and i found a common thread running through all the businesses that have been successful. And that thread is seen in the two managers of Matthew 25. I see them both there. That thread is a high degree of motivation. God wants us to be motivated people. The people who drive these successful enterprises are highly focused, highly motivated, highly energetic, highly productive people. Now let me tell you four things that employers are looking for in their employees and that God is looking for in each of us. And if we will adopt these four things, I promise you, God will bless us and so will our employers. First, God and our employers are looking for people who will not only keep their commitments, but will keep them on time. Promptness. Businessmen are looking for these kinds of people. Are you with me? Now, let's look at the second one. God and our employers are looking for people who will give it their very best, very best, every single day. Thirdly, God and our employers are looking for people who are, look at this, Honest and loyal. Boy, there's a lot of loyalty missing in the workplaces today. And then fourthly and finally, God and our employers are looking for people who are willing to go the extra mile. I was reading a book several years ago that profoundly affected my life. But there was one chapter, the chapter on work ethic, that captured my attention and it focused on a fellow whose name was Al Allison, who was the executive vice president of Allison Fence Company in Charlotte, North Carolina. You've never heard of him. You don't know him. Just a guy who lives back east. And this is a medium-sized, family-oriented business that employs several hundred workers in this town of Charlotte, North Carolina. Now, of course, you know, Putting up fences, and I can tell you from my own experience, my own limited experience, can often be labor-intensive. Anybody ever put up a fence? It's not easy. Now, the experience of Allison Fence with their employees caused Al Allison to launch a crusade. What he began to do is he began to spend a lot of time in schools, encouraging the faculties to give more effort to instilling work ethic in the students. He was begging for that, and he told them that his company, like thousands of others in America, desperately needed workers who would be willing to show up on time, work hard, and be dependable. Now, he wrote two other things that really got my attention. Look at the screen. I've written these down because what he said is so important. A strong work ethic is extremely important and may be the most important factor in valuing an employee's worth to the company. Everybody is looking for a strong 
work ethic. And then secondly, build a strong work ethic in your character. He's begging teachers to teach this. Build a strong work ethic in your character. Take charge of your health, both physically and spiritually, and become confident or competent in the service you provide. Seek balance in your life. Boy, there's some good advice. And always give more than 100%. You will make yourself invaluable. No one ever went poor being invaluable to their company. Now, here's my point. If you expect to be recognized for your efforts, appreciated for what you do, and compensated fairly by your employer, then be the very best at what you do. The world is looking for honest people who are good team players and who stick with it to the very end. They're also looking for people who are loyal to the company and loyal to the people around them. And God is looking for those very same qualities. Now let me close this morning by listing eight keys to achieving personal success. And I've listed them for you so that you can take them home. I think if you will apply these, you'll see such a change. It's unbelievable. The first thing employers want is enthusiasm. Secondly, integrity. Thirdly, dependability. Fourthly, cooperation. Fifthly, competence. Sixthly, diligence. Seventhly, loyalty. And eighthly, giving 110%. Now let me give you a little Harris Ease philosophy. I will guarantee you I don't qualify with the great thinkers of the past. Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, they're all out of my league. But occasionally, I do come up with something brilliant. If you do those eight things, you will draw success to you like honey draws flies. How's that for a little philosophy? Be that kind of person. In all of your life. Do you know what? You say, Pastor, I'm retired. You can still be enthusiastic. Pastor, my kids are grown. You can still have integrity. Pastor, I stay home all the time. You can still be dependable. You can still cooperate. You can still be confident. You can still be diligent. You can still be loyal. And you can still give every bit of yourself to what God has assigned you to be and do in your life. And that's my teaching for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. If you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe too. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. 
Don't forget to connect with Ariel Ministries on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our email list at arielministries.com. That's Ariel spelled A-R-I-E-L. We look forward to keeping you updated on upcoming episodes and projects. If you would like to support the missional efforts of Ariel Ministries in Thoraka, Kenya with Each One Feed One, we'd like to remind you that 10% of all donations to Ariel Ministries will support this missional effort. Visit arielministries.com give for online donations and other methods of giving. To learn more about the Thoraka mission, you can visit arielministries.com missions. You can also listen to episode 26 for a deeper dive into how our relationship with Each One Feed One and the McCarter family started over 35 years ago, where we are today, and where we're headed in the future.